Okay, well, thanks so much for joining us for the show today. We have a special guest, Marty Solomon, uh, joining us today for our, our time. Uh, originally from Southern Idaho, uh, he holds a bachelor's degree in Christian ministries from Boise Bible College. Uh, Marty apprenticed uh, under, te- under the teaching of Ray Vanderlyn, host of uh, That the World May Know. Some of you may have seen that. Uh, he's traveled with him both to Israel and to Turkey, researching biblical history and context. Uh, Marty now lives in Cincinnati with his family, uh, where he serves as the president of Impact Campus Ministries and the creator and executive producer of the BIMA podcast. Some of you may have heard of that as well. Uh, Marty, great to have you on the show. Uh, joining us as well as Christian, uh, good to have you here. What's yeah, up? thanks. Yeah. Um, we are uh, we're going to be diving into a bunch here uh, about discipleship, about the content you've been doing. Uh, you know, with with Bema. is it Bema? Bema? How do you pronounce it? You know, we've always said uh, Bema, and then like Bema. a little ways into it, because that's what I remember hearing from Ray. And I don't know what the difference is between the modern Hebrew and the biblical Hebrew, but somewhere along the way, we found out we were maybe wrong, and we just went with it. Okay. We were just like, "That's okay. <laughs> it probably should be Bema, Bema." But uh, so you'll hear me say all kinds of things, okay. um, just kind of whatever. So you can't get it wrong because it's okay it's so great. so basically even if you get it wrong just because it's sort of deep in your brain because you know I've, I've listened to the podcast and so many of my friends do as well and in my sort of ecosystem is it's uh bima for some reason so, okay, so we'll i'll just say bima apologies apologies in advance that i'm butchering something most likely so there's no in- butchering it's just fantastic i, I accept it all it's great We'll get into all of that uh, here today. It should be a great conversation. But wanted to start with just a little bit of your spiritual background. And I uh, thought it would be good just to kind of hear from you. How did you come to start following Jesus? And what's been some of your, your spiritual journey into, uh, into that path? Yeah, you know, I've been raised in the evangelical church my whole life. And um, I, my yeah, by the time I was born, my parents were going to church. I I have Jewish heritage in my family. I was not raised with that. Um, it's kind of a weird. My my story is a weird one. It's a it's a it's just a mashup of all kinds of interesting things. My uh, my father's family was uh, is very strict and devout LDS, uh, a Mormon family, and um, and and so because of that, uh, my dad has some uh, genealogical records through the Mormon Church that I was able to get my hands on for some school projects back in junior high and, and high school. And through that, I, I kind of had this awareness of the Jewish roots that we had through our, uh, we, we had been in Cornwall, England for at least a thousand years. We hardly changed addresses at all. And, um, and, and, and so I kind of knew about that, but wasn't raised in it. I was raised in a pretty uh, fundamentalist Christian evangelical upbringing. Uh, my mom loved uh, Focus on the Family, Dr. James Dobson, and that was my experience uh, growing up. And and um, uh, yeah, I was just always in church. I was a good student athlete. I kind of did everything by the book. I was going to go play football and study law and go to political science. And uh, God pulled me, called me, compelled me, whispered to me. I don't know what it is, but he, he pulled me to ministry. Um, I went to Bible college instead, 
went through the typical, just kind of had my own angsty crisis of faith in my early 20s. It wasn't working for me. All the theology, all of the things that they were, as they were handed to me. So I, um, uh, I, I, somebody handed me some different teachers. It was Rob Bell before the freak out heresy days where everybody was such a provocative figure and yeah. and uh he really was oh opening. i remember that i remember that yeah that yeah intense <laughs> the the numa days and and so i i was watching you know and through that i got connected to ray i was raised on ray but wasn't really right. conscious of who ray was and right so my journey's been just like always i've never had a point or a chapter in my life where i didn't know jesus mm. um I was I was raised in a reformed tradition, so you know a, a, a sprinkled infant baptism. Right. I went to Bible college, got immersed at that point. Like at which point in my journey was I? Ri- I don't know. I've just been. I've Jesus has always been a vibrant part of my life, and He's led me to brand new chapters all along the way. And it, yeah. So, yeah, it's a weird way to answer that question. In some ways, an uninteresting story. In other ways, a crazy story. So, but yeah, that's it. It sounds like the, inter- the, the intersection of you and Ray, right? Like when that connection happened and you kind of started uh, even, you know, following him into uh, Israel or Turkey, that that was, that was a shift. That was a, there was a, a shift in the direction of how you even viewed Christianity or how you viewed following Jesus. Maybe you could speak to that a bit. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, and I, I hate to always, I'll be honest. I'll just be more, I'll, I'll be honest on your podcast. How about that? Um, uh, I, I, I hate to keep bringing up the name cause everybody freaks out so much, but I would say my consciousness really shifted with Rob in those days, Rob was articulating the gospel in ways that I just needed to understand, I needed to hear. And it was rooted in a, uh, a more Jewish Second Temple Judaism, historical, critical, hermeneutic. And that wasn't what I was handed in Bible college. That's okay. I, I've gotten over the frustration that I had from those years, but he was handing me something new. And it was through that, that I was if I was going to learn it, that was I was, I was going to learn it under Ray, and uh, Ray had connections with our local church, and so that's where I got connected to him. You were kind in my introduction. You said I apprenticed under him. He he may not uh, remember it quite the same way. I was just a punk in the back of all of his groups that was learning and and just devouring. <laughs> I re- had recordings of all of his teachings, and I would just listen to them over and over and over again, and then go back yeah, and yeah. then hear a set of teachings and. So Ray, Ray was the trip is what lit a fire in me. Like my consciousness shifted years before that when I went and saw it and experienced it in person, yeah. that was where my passion for discipleship took off and where I wanted to start implementing this in some kind of ministry. And, um, you know, I really, I can really identify with the whole Rob Bell thing. And then obviously this yeah. thing, you know, things shifted. Right. But I remember I had that same exact influence from him. I was like, this is a missing link. I know this is a missing link. Uh, there's this almost like this drop off in Christianity that that basically nothing existed before Jesus came along. But Jesus was speaking out of millennia of experience and knowledge and understanding and commentary and context. And and Rob Bell was I mean, maybe I was just limited in, in my studies, but 
that was the one guy who was digging into that and connecting the two worlds. And to me, that was just transformative. I think it was fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. That was my experience as well. Saved, in a lot of ways, saved my faith because the handles I was being handed uh, weren't working for me. And I didn't know. But he was saying stuff. I'm like, okay, if Jesus is that... I can, where, where is this Jewish thing coming from? What's, give me more of that. What's going on here? And That's so that was exactly my, that yeah. was my gateway. And it was, it really was a beautiful thing. Yeah. I remember when I, I caught one of your lectures in uh, Seattle about a year ago, and you told this great story about being in Jerusalem. And I, I think it was following Ray around and the fence interaction. Like there was, a, yeah, yeah. maybe you could tell us that story. Uh, it was such a great story, an illustration of, of kind of the, the light bulb moment of discipleship. Yeah, he uh, he was trying to teach us what rabbinical discipleship looked like in the first century, and this whole concept of whatever the rabbi does, you do. Um, and it was this fantastic teaching moment that I try to duplicate in different ways on my own trips when I take students. But um, we were, I can't remember where we were at. I think we might have been outside Tel Gezer. I'm not sure. Um, but we were, we were traveling along. There was a barbed wire fence, kind of slightly dilapidated. And we come up to it, and Ray Ray gets down on his belly, and he crawls underneath the barbed wire fence. Now, maybe 20 yards to our right, the fence has fallen down. Um, we could just walk over it. So we all kind of looked at each other, kind of exchanged glances, and then we just went over to where the fence was down and walked over the fence and kept following him. He let us walk, I don't know, three-quarters of a mile, a mile, and then he turned around and did the lesson of, a rabbi always has a reason for doing what he does. You are your job as a Talmud is to mimic and imitate the rabbi because the rabbi, everything, every movement, every word, every decision, every gesture. You see, in our culture, you have to be yourself. Like plagiarism is bad, and it is bad. Um, mimicking people is not. That's like conformity. You have to be an individual. In their world, in the rabbinical world, you had to follow. Um, <laughs> you had to follow whatever the rabbi did. So he was trying to impress this upon us. He said, I'll just stay here. I'm going to let the whole group go back and you can all crawl underneath. It was like 117 degrees that day. We, had, we had went back <laughs> ah, that's crawled great. underneath the fence, came back, and it that's was just awesome. a fantastic lesson. And he would reinforce it throughout the trip in different ways. I can remember the second time he taught it was a couple days later. Uh, he was walking by and, and he, pe he picked up like a softball-sized rock and uh and and he carried it like half a mile and half of us caught it yeah. we picked up our own rocks some of us picked up little rocks and some of us picked up big rocks and whatever and then he stops and he's he said anybody have your rock and about half of us did and he's like oh good half of you learned the lesson i came by here once and there was a dog in that house that about came out and killed me so now i have a rock with me in case the dog comes he's all don't you want to be like your rabbi so we were like oh i see okay yeah this is good <laughs> that's great i love that story that's fantastic you're, that's you're a great story covered in the dust of your your rabbi yeah oh gosh so much dust so much sweat so much blood oh yeah it was great well, how did that, you know, coming back from that uh, experience and then back into Western American Christianity and church culture, and how, how did that begin to inform some of your spiritual formation and, and the journey from that point on? Well, it's what ended up driving me into campus ministry. It would take about three, two to three years before I figured that out. Um, I used to pastor a small church in Boise, Idaho, when I was in Bible college. I did that for six, seven years. Um, and then 
I got out of that thinking I was going to go, I mean, I, I was all into the emerging church. I was going to go change the world through house churches and do all this other stuff. And um, that didn't work. That lasted for about three months before I knew I needed to get back into ministry. But I was such a jerk back then that I had burned every bridge I knew. So I just kind of went waddling into this, back to my home church, into this position as a missions director, evangelism and missions director. And, um, and, and just had this, uh, I had a job description. I had, I had a role that I was supposed to play. And I came back with this experience of first century rabbinical discipleship. And I was like, this would still work. If we did this today, this would still change the world. Like it changed the world. It changed human history with 11 guys and a handful of ladies. Like this would still change human history if we did this. And I'm, I, I'm not knocking the church I worked for, but they were just like, yeah, but it's not in your job description. Like we, we you run these programs, you do this stuff. Like, and I under, I understand that. And they were, and these were Ray people. Like they knew, like they knew that about, and, Oh wow. And they did have, a, wow. they did have a passion for that. They just also had, they were from a denominational background. They had a church that needed to do certain things. And I was hired to do some of those things. I, I mean, I get that, but I started like, and they were very gracious. They said, we know that this isn't your long-term, like you'll be going somewhere else and we want to help you figure out what that is. Um, and, and when I resigned from that first church, uh, Impact Campus Ministries had asked me to do campus ministry. And I was like, A, I don't want to raise my own funds. B, I don't want to do youth group for big kids. So no way. And then they, they asked me again when I went to Twin Falls. And I was like, no, I'm just not interested. And I am lamenting one of these days as I'm trying to figure out what my future holds. And I'm like, God, I just need some people. They need to be adults because they need to be able to make their own decisions. Like they can't be like their parents can't get in the way, but I also need them to not have mortgages and marriages and three kids and a career. And I went, Oh my goodness, it's college students. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and that's what drew me into campus ministry was this. I, I came back and didn't know where to put it in the church at large. Um, and, and yeah, it was, it's been a wild ride. It's been fantastic. It's great. And so how did take us from there to, the Bema podcast and how did that emerge? Yeah. So, um, I'm a teacher by giftedness. So my passion was discipleship. My giftedness was teaching. And so I had, uh, I had this body of work that I had picked up from these trips with Ray and Ray had taught me who to study and, and like gave me his bibliography and here's what you need to understand. And here's what you need to look for. Here's what you need to be careful of. So I, I had been given these tools and I had been building this body of work and and I knew that my giftedness was teaching. So I knew that my approach to campus ministry was going to be somewhat teaching centric. So I created a program where we'd bring college students in and college students were already hungry to deconstruct their faith. So why not deconstruct the Bible while being passionate and centered on the Bible? Um, so let's deconstruct some of that and and put it back together and reconstruct it. And um, so we created a, a class and that that flavor of our ministry, we called Bema, and um, it was a two-year program. Students would come in and the, by the time they got through two years, they would have gone from what is today uh, session one through five. And, um, and then we would go to Israel. I would take the students over to Israel and Turkey and we would, we would go on a study tour together. And then if they had any time left, uh, we would come back and we would try to live in some kind of intentional community together. And, um, 
and it was just a it was just a great experience and um what happened at that point was they asked me to serve as president for impact and i couldn't be at class anymore and so it wasn't me trying to be a genius it was just me going if i can't be in class but i still want to have a discussion group when i'm in town i'll put my content in a podcast and people can access it i wasn't trying to be you know a flipped classroom i wasn't trying to be deeply philosophical i just thought this would be a practical and so we did and then more and more people started listening to it and then all of a sudden i was on a podcast like this one and that got somebody interested and boom the rest is history it's crazy guys, so it's been a while you guys are up to somewhere around four million downloads at this point right i mean yeah yeah we passed four million i don't try to get too wound up in the data points sure. but brent told me we passed four million data point or, or downloads um last week we're having we're coming up on about eight thousand daily downloads so which is just crazy i'm trying to figure out how to just steward that well whatever god's doing whatever gift this is um that god's wanting to do through all of us not just us but just trying to steward it so clear so clearly this is my interesting thing so clearly this is an organic thing right like i mean this is a growth that you probably wouldn't predict when you were originally doing it you were just trying to create a vehicle for, for you to express some things and have them stored for someone to learn you know whatever tell me tell me how you see it because i mean obviously uh, you know I've, i was influenced by i'm still very much influenced by this connection of of this the view of continuity right mm -hmm. that jesus didn't come out of a vacuum and so and that matters and that it would inform the way we we operate think etc cetera, etc cetera. And in my mind, it's one of those things that isn't this obvious, right? Isn't this incredible and beautiful and an integrated view of life and discipleship and, and the Christian life. Uh, and yet it, it pushes against a very, very different cultural context, right? In the general population, you know, when you saw it. And yet, so it's countercultural, and yet clearly there's a need. Right. Because otherwise people wouldn't be, so many people wouldn't be downloading it, sharing it with friends, doing group studies of Bema, and that's what's happening. Uh, tell me, tell me what is this, what's this hunger, this pain point, mm -hmm. you know, that it's resonating with people in Bema? Yeah, um, and I'm probably not smart enough to really talk about it super effectively. I know that we've built... Uh, especially in the Western world, and maybe even more so in America, the North American, but especially the American context, we've built a, a machine, a, a ch an evangelical church system. Um, and oftentimes we've built that on the foundations of our traditions and expressions that have been built on just different historical um, eras of Western development. Um, and that's and that's worked in large parts at different points in history at different chapters but but time just continues to move and the world changes and ever since the french revolution we've been in this awkward post-christian kind of fighting this weird war that and, and it's just it's raised questions it's made people think you, you throw the internet into that my goodness the ability right. to find them we're living in an information like all you used to find all your grounding and like your, the tradition you were a part of the expression of faith that you were tied to and and now the challenge is to not throw out all those babies with the bathwater. like those things are still deeply meaningful right. but all these intellectual questions 
which kind of got filtered just through that tradition are now filtered through the ability to actually find some answers to those questions. Um, and so I, I think, I mean, I try not to be too critical about this. I don't know if evangelicalism has been working for a while. And I think we all kind of know that on some level. It doesn't mean it's all broken and bad. It just means there's been something that's been a little off and, and we're, and we have a commitment to the scriptures. And so we know that we want to be rooted and grounded in that. And so that's where we've been going to reevaluate. Like is, is the thing that's off? Is it in, is it, I mean, I heard one pastor once talk about um, the, the world uh, work, the word we live by the work we're called to and the world we live in. And so is the thing that's off, is it in the world? Is it as we perceive the world? Is it in the how we understand our work or is it how we understand our word? And I think especially American Christians have said, well, it's definitely not the word. We got that figured out a long time ago. So we've been all wrestling mm -hmm. with work and world. And yet now we're starting to realize, oh man, there's all kinds of other things that open the word up and make it more. Right. And it, and it transcends all these uh, denominational expressions and it transcends. And so, uh, yeah, I think it's just, um, I think I started to ramble at some point in there. The rambling does lead me to a question. Okay. So here's my question. You mentioned this post-Christian thing that's happening, right? Um, and it's, it's really fascinating because we have, more information than ever, the information revolution has changed the world um, and, and it's, the fragmentation continues, right? Because you have access, you can be in an ecosystem of whatever denomination, 30 years ago, even 20 years ago, you sort of stayed in the ecosystem, right? right? For, for objective reasons. But because of the, the, the media connections, phones and, and every high speed internet, all those things, now you have, you see the world outside of your ecosystem so much more easily. So it fragments and sort of tweaks and you can, as you, as you said, you can throw the baby out of the bathwater just you're confused. Uh, but here's my other question. The other side of this is the, the society in, in the United States is, is quickly sort of moving towards post-Christian culture, sort of following in the lead of Europe, Western Europe specifically. Um, and then what you say, and I think what we say in general collectively in the Christian world, especially if we include sort of this this we did this didn't come out of, out of a vacuum and this is as relevant today as it was two years two thousand years ago three years thousand years ago etc. We 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 have sort of these wisdom pearls of wisdom and an understanding of the world how it actually works in the very the laws of God essentially things that don't change the 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 faster things change the more important it is to find things that don't change right because you can root yourself in that and those things you know are about you know, about relationships, friendships, gender, leadership, money, all of those things. So as you speak what you speak from this this rooted, integrated view of, of Scripture, can you tell me some of the things, how do you see the response of the post-Christian dimension of the world to, to what you say, uh, especially in lieu of cancel culture, you know, uh, is, I mean, it's complicated. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, what do you? Yeah. How do you? See, how how does Bama bump against that and respond to it? Yes, it's very complicated, um, and there's a lot of places that I would love to just run to 
And yet we have, I have been very intentional about occupying a different space. And by different, I don't simply just mean the middle. Um, sometimes we glorify just the middle for middle's sake. And I'm not trying to just sit in the middle. I want to sit in some kind of different space. That's limited by my own redneck vocabulary. Like I'm still from Southern Idaho. I wasn't an Ivy League student. Like you compare my stuff to like Bible Project. We are definitely on not on that level. We are much less polished. We're a little bit more raw and and weird. I'm weird. So so sometimes what we're trying to do is limited by just me as a human being. But we are trying to occupy this um, this space that's not left and it's not right. And I'm amazed at how people hear our stuff and interpret our stuff. I'm always amazed. Right. Um, I did our last live stream Q and a and, uh, no joke. I, I have, I wish I would have saved and screenshotted the timestamps three minutes after I got done with the live stream Q and a, an email comes into my inbox, um, that says, you know, the language you're using when you talk about this stuff makes you really sound like you're, 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 you're very liberal. 92 seconds later, <laughs> I got an email from somebody that said, you know, when you say those things that you said on the live stream, it makes you seem like you're complicit with conservative evangelicalism. Right. And I thought, my goodness, I just want to hand both of you these emails. And <laughs> that's because that is largely the space right. that we're trying to, to, to occupy, to have a different conversation in a different space than because it is it is weird and how does the how does the post-christian world bump up against bema typically typically they love it because of the deacon like it's not this i mean if we do it right on our on our better days it's not this tribal we're the right team come join our stuff yeah, yeah. We right, right, right. It all. it's more question-based it's inquisitive it's willing to go it's willing to call out some things that might be a little wacky um and we try to be sensitive, like you mentioned, like cancel culture. Like there are still some things to learn from all that. Um, like there's this, there's this um, extreme expression of that that's really problematic. But there are also some things to learn about that should be like basic Jesus principles, like respect for other people, right? Um, mm -hmm. Just the way that we talk about things and the way that we honor others. And yeah. I I've had to learn about Jewish appropriation. And yes, and my theology has something to say about that, but. As a Jesus follower, I should care deeply about Jewish appropriation and what that means. And yeah, 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 yeah. So how can I let all this post-Christian culture stuff, I'm not, it's not a war. How can I see it as a gift? It also doesn't mean I have to embrace it all, but I can I can learn from it and let it hopefully just take our conversation to a, a totally different place, uh, a higher level that's not this and it's not that, it's... So that's what I, and I love that space. I, I find that to be very gospel centric. I find it to be very, I call it Eucharistic community. Like it pulls people to a different center. Yeah. That center hopefully being Christ. And I, I want to be a part of that. So if I can I learn from that. everything, if I can learn from everybody, then come on, I got some, I got some broken bread and I got some poured wine. So let's do it. Yeah. You know, Tim uh, Mackey does this illustration with two circles. And then he has the, he has where they meet in the middle, right? And that that's the third space, right? Like yep. Heaven and earth. Yep. We're we're supposed to kind of live in that tension of. Yep. We're not we're not just isolating ourselves to our communities and living in a bubble, a Christian bubble, uh, but we're also not just you know living on earth yep. and just kind of mentally 
making the agreement with certain biblical truths. We're practicing this way of heaven on earth in that space, and it's meant to be that third space for, uh, for people. Which I think your story about going, you know, going back to your story of going to Jerusalem and seeing that and then coming back home, it's, it kind of serves as a perfect illustration, right? Maybe, maybe we're a little bit more postmodern than at that time because it seems to be, um, seem, the ball seems to be rolling pretty quickly in that, that direction. But I wonder, too, as you're not just the postmodern, uh, you know, world, but kind of the, the average church follower that is, you know, obviously paying attention to your, your content, what are you what are you catching on to what's what's missing in our worldview of of discipleship uh that that could help us get to that space right to that third space yeah um it's probably a couple different ways i could answer that at the end of our body of work we talk about our four pillars like if i were to talk practically about what we're missing or what we could do like that's my own just personal conviction and has been since my days with Ray, I kind of formulated those four pictures, those four pillars, uh, as I just thought about my time with with Ray. But the text and community and discipleship and wrestling are the four big ideas that I um, love to just come back to. We think we're really good on the text, but we're not. We're good on doctrine. And doctrine and text are not the same thing. Mm. Um, and the Western world has like, we just want to know what the text says. So doctrine. We don't really actually want to get the text in us. And that's something different than what was happening in Jesus's day, where it was not about doctrine. Like doctrine is important, but it was about the text because the text was the word of God that was powerful and and never returned back void. And and then there was like a radical commitment to community, which we, we don't have. We build up this tribal identity of us versus them. We go to culture wars, um, uh, discipleship. We, we call a lot of things discipleship. Um, which are great things, and I don't have a problem. We even call them discipleship. But somewhere we lost rabbinical discipleship, the kind of discipleship I saw. And then we discourage wrestling in the church because we see it as a threat, largely. So, but if I were to like, so the second way I would answer that question is I would go back to something Christian just said a little a, a moment ago, which was, um, there, what we actually what we actually end up deconstructing is all of this, like this doctrinal house of cards that we've built and sometimes glued together. Like it's even a strong house of cards, but what actually the foundation of it is wisdom. Like what we're missing is something more real than the systems we've built out to the wisdom. It's the wisdom that it's, it's, it's built on itself. Like, mm. Wisdom being Christ as the Logos, wisdom being the teachings of Jesus, not the, then we, but we always race ahead to the application of that wisdom. But the problem is, is the application of the wisdom will only be vibrant for a certain season of history. And then all of a sudden stuff changes and humanity changes and my context changes. And, and we always like cry out relativism, but that's not, no, Wisdom is the absolute truth. The application is relative, but we always make the application the truth. And so I feel like when you start to tap into, whenever you start tapping into the wisdom of the Christ, well, now all of a sudden people are Christians everywhere. Dare I say non-Christians everywhere? Well, they're interested in that. They can smell yeah. that coming a mile away. They're, they want to be, they want to be in on, on that. And it's not just an intellectual wisdom. It's, I mean, it's, it is that, but it's also 
it's just so much it's it's relational wisdom yeah it's vocational wisdom it's how are we putting the world back together god is god is repairing and restoring the world and he's looking for partners and we all we all want to be a part of that believer or non believer like there's something about us that we are we're literally made to do that and so we're pulled we're drawn towards that but we instead of tapping into that we use it as a tool to our ends to try to build our little mini empires and uh, people i mean people, even 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 sort of the the some of the things that sort of bump against christianity that come from sort of this, a space of social justice i think that's a that's the deepest underlying underlying thirst is that we are worshipers we're created to right. to to minister to to this earth we're created to bring the kingdom and and it's just interpreted as isolated from the father who gave us this thirst in the first place yeah and then it right. becomes this weird you know weird war or you know tug right. of war yep. and it shouldn't be because it comes from the exact same place yeah right? yes mark, mark sayers has this saying he says we 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 want the kingdom without the king that's exactly sure. what it is. We're trying to build this utopia without the sovereignty and lordship. Uh, and then, yeah, but exactly. then, yes, but then Christians double down and we, we're like, I want the king, but not the kingdom. Right. Like, so, and there's like this weird, again, it's that overlapped space. It's that sacred overlap of, yes. okay, but in the middle, that's where God's at. Right. But God's people are over here and the, but the, not God's people are over here doing that. But God's right. in the middle going, I, I could use both of you if you'll just come if you'll just come hang out here and let's build the kingdom together. Well tell but, me uh, Marty, I know that part of you, you know, you had shared earlier at the beginning that you had kind of made this re re you know, invigorating, I don't know how you said it, like you kind of journeyed back into your Jewish heritage even, right? And and that we're talking about going back to Jesus and back to the wisdom and back to context and what worked two thousand years ago still applies today and um, and and yet there's very much a divide for, I think, most people, at least in the Western world, of what it means to be a Christian. They don't think a Jewish rabbi and discipleship, right? So um, how did that, how did you kind of make that journey as a Christ follower back? And, and what were some of the, the tensions that, that, were, that you faced even in that? And how did you navigate some of that? Yeah, that was a really weird experience. Um, I don't talk about it much, but here we go on your podcast. Right. Um, so we, I was, I mean, I had been with Ray for some time. And when you, when you start getting into this, this kind of teaching, whatever, whatever we mean by that, this kind of teaching, um, it becomes very trendy to have people that I want to be Jewish. I want to celebrate the festivals. I, I want to eat kosher. I want to, right. and, and it was so important. Like I had learned under Ray, he had done a very good job of passing on at that point, what was relatively new um, the new perspective of Paul school of theology, like it had been out for a decade or two, but it was still being refined, but he had the things we were learning from the dead sea scrolls, the things that we were learning from guys like NT Wright and EP Sanders and Mark Nanos and James Dunn. Like he, he, he had passed it on to me. The importance of Gentiles are Gentiles. Jews are Jews. And the entire scandal of your new Testament is that in Christ they're together in this united Eucharistic community. That's what your whole New Testament is about. So I had learned that. 
And I had come back from all these trips when I was teaching and people would get wound up about Judaism. And I would tell them, no, we can't be Jewish because we have to be the Gentile Christians that God called us to be. We have to know, we have to plant our feet in the history of the scriptures. We have to know where we have to appreciate, we have to honor the Judaism that we come out of, but our job is not to become Jews. That ruins the gospel. Um, and and so then I go over to one of, it was my last trip with Ray, and I had grown out my, I'm going to tell you this story. I never tell this story. I had grown my beard out just to be stupid, no reason, just to be dumb. Haven't shaved it since. I had grown my beard out. I walked into the airport, and I turned the corner, and I saw Ray, and I went to greet him, and he stepped back, and he went, oh, my goodness, you're Jewish. And I went, that's kind of a weird, like I said, I knew I had Jewish heritage, but that's a weird thing to say somebody. He grabbed my name tag and he said, has your name always been spelled that way? And I'm like, well, yeah, since for a thousand years out of Western Europe. He's like, we've never seen that name come out of Western Europe and have it not be Jewish. And I'm like, okay, the more you know, like what, what does this have to do with anything? The first few days of the trip, Ray, Ray, whenever he talks about Jews, Ray points at me from across the way. He's like, if you were to ask a Jew today, and I'm like, what? Or if he's standing next to me, he'd put his hand on my shoulder. Like Jews today would tell you. And I'm like, what? what is going on? It was day like four or five. We're coming back from the Jordan River. And um, and somebody is asking Ray a question. And they refer to me as their semi-Jewish friend. And Ray loses his mind. He calls everybody over. He says, I don't want to hear anybody <laughs> ever call that call him that ever again. If you're a Jew, you're a Jew. There's nothing you can do about it. And if you're not a Jew, you're not a Jew. And there's nothing you can do about it. And he gave this big old, and I just stood there like, <laughs> I had never applied the theology that I had been teaching. And I can't, I, I met Ray back at the bus and I'm like, Ray. And he's like, listen, he was gracious. He was like, in Jesus, I think you have all the freedom in the world. Obviously you, you haven't been raised in your Judaism and in Jesus and in Christ, it, I, it's grace. It's all grace upon grace. But he's all, I know what you teach, and you're going to have a student one day that's sharp enough that they're going to look at you and they're going to go, if that's what you believe the, God, the New Testament teaches, why don't you eat kosher? And you just need to know what you're going to tell them. And I was like, and I went home and had this really awkward conversation with my wife. And we prayed, we, we read through Torah three times. We wrote down every law we could find in Torah. We talked about the implications of what it means to become Torah observant. She prayed about it for some time. I told her I wanted it to be her decision, and I'd figure out what Jesus was doing with me after that. But I wanted her to, we, had, we were just starting to have kids. Hmm. Um, she didn't sign up for this. Uh, so, And she came back and said, yeah, I think this is what we should do. And so we just have been on this journey of, okay. And we were moving anyway. It was a great time. And we, we became Torah observant. We reclaimed that Jewish heritage that we understand from written Torah is passed on paternally. Jews don't see it that way today. It's been this wild journey. Uh, did I get it right, right off the bat? No. Um, it's just, it's been years of learning how to do it better and better and better and learning how to honor modern Judaism through that and learning like, am I messianic? Am I not messianic? Like what's, like, why is it different? Right. But that's, but that's also just life. Like that's, like that is, life is just a big, constant evolving adventure and development and so it it's cool we're doing the best we're running after jesus and we're reading the scriptures to the best of our ability yeah and trying to live in a way that's consistent to that so 
That's what I would hope everybody would want to do. Give me Bible, give me Jesus, and let's go. Well, um, it's been a great conversation. Uh, I've really appreciated it. Um, you know, I think one of the things that, uh, as we, we kind of wrap up, one of the things that I, I know is near and dear to your heart is context, right? And getting the, getting the word into us um, and how much context, getting context right matters, right? Um, uh, because we've, in, especially in just the history of the U.S., we've built all kinds of branches of Christianity out of getting context wrong, right? Um, what's, what's one practical thing that as followers of Jesus, as somebody listening to this today, um, maybe who's not even following Jesus, but just wants to understand more about this, this contextual place that this you know, rabbi taught from 2,000 years ago, um, what's one thing we can do to, to, to make that journey? Well, uh, it's a, it is a big long journey and i'm not sure if there's one small it the journey will start with just one small little step and then but there'll be another one after that and another one after that i'm not sure if there's one thing that we can do that will make the difference that we need um, but just learning to ask the question of what did this mean if, if the proper hermeneutic if the if the bible is inspired and the proper hermeneutic to interpret this inspired text is about the the conversation taking place between the author and the audience. We need to start asking that question not as an afterthought and not as a somewhere later in the exegesis, but before I begin the exegesis to have done the work to know what's the conversation taking place between the author and the audience. What is the history? What is the context? And if we start that earlier in the hermeneutical process, uh, that's just going to go a long way. Now, that's just going to take a whole lifetime of learning and listening and and studying. And if people want to know, like, well, what's the first step? I love Lois Tuerberg's books. Lois Tuerberg, uh, T-V-E-R-B-E-R-G. Looks like Tverberg, but Lois Tuerberg wrote three books about Rabbi Jesus, Sitting at the Feet of Rabbi Jesus, Walking in the Dust of Rabbi Jesus, Reading My Bible with Rabbi Jesus. And she has some of the best material that is so wonderfully accessible for somebody that doesn't know anything. Like if you want a place to start, start there and, uh, and, and then, and then kind of take off from there and keep studying. But, and not everybody's a teacher. So not everybody's going to be uh, a student or a, but if we start learning how to ask a different set of questions, uh, that will be the most, just ask a different, start from a different place, start with a different set of assumptions, start with an, with a different initial question, and um, that's going to make. I have, a, I have a follow-up question. Uh, you know, for those who feel that pull, right? You you describe that pull like there's something missing. There's something missing. Right. Uh, you know, and this this is you know, and I felt a very similar pull actually. And um, you know, Robel before sort of he went theologically in a, in an interesting direction was a huge help for me and it's sort of you know pulling on a thread and then that leads you to other threads etc you know and i think for me as as a someone who who leads a church i i love this i love sharing it i love sort of immersing myself in it um and there's an environment i think where in for example in tribe where elias both elias and i serve where this is a, a lot of this is happening in discussion etc 
But there are other environments, the one that you describe, where people go, oh, this is just weird, right? So how would you, what would you say to someone who is on, in the beginning of unpacking this whole dimension, just discovering this whole dimension to, to biblical culture, who doesn't have the environment? Uh, how do you navigate that? Do you, like, how do you not shut that down in yourself because it's so life-giving to you? But also, how do you not overreact and just walk up, you know, walk up to the pulpit in the middle of service as we're all lost, we've lost our way, I know the way, you know, that kind of, that kind of thing. I'm exaggerating, obviously, right? But the dynamics of that are very real, right? What would you yeah. say to someone like that, maybe who's listening? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I have to constantly remind myself and remind others that not everybody is in that place. Like, for and I trust the Holy Spirit. It's so like this isn't the only way that you're going to get to Jesus. This isn't the only way that the kingdom's going to come. This isn't the only way. Like studying this and understanding this Jewish stuff isn't isn't the key or the secret. Like the Holy Spirit's going to work in spite of us, just like He always did for centuries and centuries before we dug all this stuff out of the dirt and knew any of this stuff. So he's been working for the last 1800 years. He'll keep working anyway, but there, are, so there are some people that their expressions and their faith traditions and their doctrine, whatever it works for them. And they're not asking, they're not asking questions about this doesn't work for me. They're not looking for that. And that's okay. That's where they're at. That's where they're at. Um, and they don't, and, and what they've got is working just fine for them. But then there's everybody else. And it's, if, if that if that's if they're looking if they're asking they're typically ready if they're not looking and not asking i've watched all kinds of people try to cram bema down people's throats that, that <laughs> ain't that ain't going anywhere they are not smelling what we're cooking and that is that is okay um and that's that's i mean the next layer of that difficulty is that you end up kind of like you were with somebody and then you ended up in kind of like a different place and and then you start to go on this journey and you can't bring all these other people with you. And that's unbelievably unsettling because you can't make them come with you. Right. But nor can you deny yourself this thing that God's teaching you. And so it's just, that's the nature of relationships too. It's not Christian or not Christian or in the church or out of the church or lost their way or found. Like it's just the nature of growing and developing. And just like it was when we were physically developing, it's awkward and our voice cracks and we lose relationships and we have a girlfriend that dumps us. Yeah. Yeah. And that just keeps happening throughout our life and the church and throughout our experiences in ministry in the church. And yep. And it's okay because Jesus is still at work there and the Holy Spirit's still doing incredible things in all those spaces. Our job is to just steward the, the chunk of dirt that God's given us to steward and do it to the best of our ability. And when we're pastors like yourself, Christian, it's, it's even more complicated because your flock is full of all those different people, all those yes, different sheep, and you got to you got to figure out how to steward them and occupy all these spaces, and and get your flock to water, and um, but Jesus Jesus is he'll he will he will sustain us. We are but hired hands, and he is the good shepherd, and it will be all right. <laughs> a to the man, <laughs> that's great. Okay, I know we said we were going to let you go, but I do have, I just, just what you said made me think about this idea of training and apprenticeship and kind of that being a fundamental shift for, I think, almost everybody, right, that they can make uh, into seeing themselves as a follower who is apprenticing, 
right? We're, we're learning, we're training ourselves. Uh, we're learning to be trained by our rabbi on some level. And, um, and so I just wonder if you could speak to that a little bit about, you know, when you think about, I mean, Jesus says things like, you know, the, the student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher, right? That there's this spectrum of training that we all kind of fall into somewhere. I don't know that any of us are fully trained, right? But we're somewhat trained or um, how does that fundamentally change your relationship with Jesus? When you, when you see yourself beyond just culturally a Christian or going to church or emotionally connecting with God through worship, but, but no, I'm actually here to train to become like somebody. Um, yeah, how, how, even for you personally, how has that fundamentally changed your relationship with Jesus? And how, what does that offer to people? I'm not sure there's anything in my life that ever caused me to be transformed more than pursuing that kind of discipleship. Nothing caused more growth. There's always somebody in front of you, and there's always somebody behind you. Always. No matter who we are, there's always somebody in front of you, and there's always somebody behind you, which means there's always somebody that you can be looking towards, because hopefully they're following Jesus. So, I mean, some 11, 19 times in the New Testament, the, the, the writers of the New Testament talk about follow me, imitate me. We gave you an example to follow, some kind of like imitation language. So there's always somebody that should be looking like Jesus, more like Jesus in some way than I am. And so I want to be modeling that, imitating that as they imitate Christ. There's always, I don't care how new of a believer, I don't care how dumb you are. I don't, there's always somebody behind you, somebody that you can be looking at and going, I am not, I'm no apostle Paul, but I, I would love to be able to model, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. It doesn't mean you have to have your whole life, but there's this little part of my life that I want to, I want to, I want to imitate for you and you can follow me as I follow Christ. Um, and nothing will, nothing will, I, I, I think if you're a spirit filled follower of Jesus, nothing will convict you more than knowing there's somebody two steps behind you getting covered in your dust, watching your decisions imitating your wanting to know why you're making the decisions you're making nothing causes you to take that seriously right. than knowing somebody is trying to become like jesus behind you um and so yeah and, and for us at impact that's just about know what it means to create space for god know what it means to have spiritual practices and spiritual disciplines know what it means to pray know what it means to memorize the text know what it means do something that you know what it means to run after jesus and then don't do that in your quiet time alone. Ah, right. do that with somebody behind you. Do that with somebody and say, I'm going to memorize my text. Are you memorizing your text? I'm going to pray. Are you praying? Come follow me while I pray. Um, do that in front of somebody and then teach them why and how and what the struggles are. And then teach them how to do it for somebody else. And just, just keep the process going. It, it changed the course of human history. It's, there's no better leadership development, not seminary, and seminary is wonderful, not church small groups, and church small groups are wonderful. Nothing is better than come follow me as I as I follow Jesus. You don't do that at an hour on Thursday morning at Starbucks, although hours at Thursday morning at Starbucks are great. Um, there's something unique about, hey, I want you to come follow me. I want you to live some life with me. I want to. I want you to do what I do, not because I've arrived. I'm not Jesus, but I. I let 
Let's get more like Jesus together. Yeah. And I love that 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 can't happen outside of community, right? Like we can't just be, we can't ingest enough content, enough podcasts, enough sermons to get there. We need, we need people to walk with us. We need one another relationships. We need a community that, uh, that we're bought into and that is bought into us and uh, we're doing it together. Absolutely. Absolutely. You, you cannot have a personal relationship with Jesus without, ah, you've got to be doing this thing corporately with other, yeah. with other believers together. 110%. Love it. Well, um, what's next for you in the, the journey with, uh, with Bema or Bema? How, what, what's, what's the next steps? Where are you guys heading now? Uh, we're going to head into session six. Uh, we're two, we're just our first, we're one week, two weeks, three weeks by the time this episode posts into session six. Um, that's a bunch of guest interviews, kind of like what you're doing with me. We're doing it on our podcast and, um, maybe I'll have to have you guys on and, uh, and, and then we're, we're doing some deeper dives, midrash profits, character studies. Uh, we're doing a whole, um, we're going to go through the chosen series. And like do a, a an episode at a time and just give our own like commentary and thoughts on oh, the chosen cool. series. Oh, that should be, be fun. Big, big crowd pleaser there. And then and then we've got um we're just gonna keep making resources. We're gonna expand the teaching team a little bit so it's not just Marty. We need to get some other voices in there. So we're gonna bring in a couple voices and Marty won't even be on some podcast. It'll be fantastic. And in the meantime, I'll keep making YouTube videos and we're trying to make more video content. Um, there's some rumors that I'm writing a book um with some other possible stuff coming after that i don't know we'll see but um just trying to trying to just if we can if we can steward this gift that god's giving us and get more jesus and more kingdom in the hands of people if we can teach us how to ask good questions and turn the holy spirit loose we'll 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 be okay so we're just going to keep seeing what god hands us and try to steward it well that's great well where can people go to uh to find out more what where, where can people follow yeah, so we're on. I'm, I try to be on social media platforms, and I don't use them for anything dumb. I use them just to promote information, so um, spread stuff and podcast and that kind of thing. So uh, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter. Um, uh, I, I'm on Facebook. Baymaw's on Facebook. I'm on Twitter at Marty Solomon. Uh, the underscore Baymaw is the Twitter account there. Um, I'm on Instagram. You can find us at baymodiscipleship.com as our website. Basically, anything you need to get to, you can get to at baymodiscipleship.com. Um, find me on YouTube. Whatever, whatever works. Awesome. People know. People know how to find folks. Find me. That's right. Well, Marty That's Solomon, awesome. it's been great to uh, to have this conversation with you. Thank you for the time, and uh, we'll have to do it again. Absolutely, guys. It's been a an awesome conversation. So I look forward to it.